Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 390, freaking nine. Wow. I'm, I'm Ryan, <laughs> a.k.a. Agent M. This is James from Aglehart. You can call me JMI. JMI, I'm so glad to have you back here. <laughs> Thanks, man. Glad to be back. We're recording this uh, on a Friday, yes. about a week before the episode releases. Mm-hmm. It's been a hot minute since you've been on. Yes, it has been. I've been a little bit busy, but so have you guys. Yeah, we've been we've been wild. Uh I got home from E3 last night and yeah, rolled right into the space this morning. <laughs> uh, we've got another recording after this together. Yep. But if you're just joining us on This Week in Marvel, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about movies and television, video games and yep. comics, and just our general hypeness about all things Marvel. We actually have some fun news to share Definitely. about different things. And I think that's where we should start. We're going to yep. go right into the top news, which is happy Spider-Man Far From Home season, y'all. It is, uh, it is great because... We're like right in the thick of it. I am so excited. I'm so, this movie, I'm so excited about this movie. I mean, finally, we're going to find out what the heck happened. I'm just, I, I, I can't wait. James, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. I've what? already seen the movie once. By the time this is, huh? by the time this goes live, I'll what? have seen it twice. What? Yeah. Okay, you listen, I, obviously, I mean, I understand I'm new, I understand I'm a rookie, but I am getting the, I mean, the, the short end of the stick here. <laughs> I I will be honest, I sent a note to try to have you come to the Marvel screening, Seriously? but you were busy. Yeah, I was you know what, you busy. yeah, that is very true. Uh, my, my, my Hamilton schedule does not let me out to do a bunch of stuff. I'm, I'm very upset about that. I mean, me. of your nine jobs, I guess that you is, That work. is very true. I have, <laughs> yes, I have to work a bunch of them, yes. Yeah. Uh, but so the week that this is episode releases, I'll have been in London most of the week for- yeah, for Spider-Man Far From Home press junket, which means I get to talk to uh, the stars of the, the, yes. the movie. When you talk to Zendaya, yeah. please mention my name. Okay. She may not remember me. Sure. But Zendaya and I did a show at TheaterWorks back when she was, I think, 12 years old. Uh, we did Carol and a Change. Uh, her, mom and, her mom and my wife are the same height, which is why we thought it was cool, because it was two women, white women who were six foot four, and they walked past me, and she, they met each other, and they're like, oh my God, sister, sister. <laughs> it was one of those moments. Uh, please tell Zendaya what's up. She came to see me in Aladdin, but then again, now she's a big star. She may have no idea who I am, but please mention my name. I will 100%. I'm going to put it in yes. my notes. Uh, before we go any further, I do have to announce that we have a new audio producer on the show, replacing yes. evil producer Brandon. <laughs> and uh, her name is Becca. And um, I have to come up with a good sinister nickname because yeah, all producers are evil. Um, wow. That, that, I mean, look, that's, that's true. That's true. Let's, just, let's just be real. And we need a villain on the show. Yes. You are the most white meat baby face that we could yes. have on the show. Yes, I am. Until I'm, I turn on you, hit you with a chair. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Uh, I'm the antihero. Very Lorraine true. is Lorraine is Lorraine. She She's like heal. shining superstar. True, very true. You know, but we need the villain of the show. We have Triple P yes. uh, Persia, who's still in Japan right now. Yes, but Becca, you're gonna have to play the role of villain, um, even though you're never gonna speak. Becca, Becca, bad to the bone. Ooh, B B B T B. Yes, <laughs> true B T B. I like it. That might stick. That might stick. Uh, but that's real good. We're, we're very excited. So yeah, back to Spider-Man Far yes, From Home. of course. You're not going to be able to see it for a little while. No. But everybody else can see Spider-Man Far From Home July 2nd when it releases in theaters. Before we even get to that, though, we just announced this week that the uh, live stream for the red carpet premiere will happen Wednesday, June 26th, beginning at 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And everybody can watch that at marvel.com slash Spider-Man Live. No hyphen, no capitals. <laughs> uh, and so the host for that one is going to be great. So Lorraine, yes. uh, she is the queen. She is leading the charge. And she's with Elsie Elsie Granderson. Yes. Elsie's dope. He he's He's real fun. 
he hosted with Lorraine the Avengers. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Awesome. Um, and then we're also going to have Angelique Roche. Love that girl. Tamara Krinsky. Uh, she's wonderful. Have you, yeah. Do you know her? I don't know. I think you should. You guys would get along okay, so cool. well. She's she's theater as well. All right, cool. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be awesome. And again, Spider-Man Far From Home, July 2nd. Get your tickets now. Available. Definitely. Pretty much everywhere. You're going to want to check this out, man. This is going to be the film of the year. And also, the red carpet is always a fantastic show. They have great guests to get to see the fans, especially these fans who like dress up while they're online. I mean, all the cosplay. It is going to be great. You don't want to miss this. Heck yeah. Uh, James, who's our interview with this week? Our interview this week is with Greg Pak, writer of New Agents of Atlas, uh, Star Wars, and more. I mean, this man is the best. He has written so many amazing stories. I mean, this, this interview is going to be good, and you're always great with the interviews and everything. I do okay. Yeah, uh, you yeah. have some good questions. I, awesome. I've, you know, it's fun because I've known Greg almost, maybe as long as I've been at Marvel. Really? Uh, you know, and like, we, we, t- we talk about that a little bit and he's yeah. the biggest Star Wars fan and so him writing the, like the main core Star Wars book yeah. with art by Phil Noto is bonkers. He must be like, it must be one of those moments where like when you, when you do get your dream, you kind of like go, I can't believe I'm here. Right. So for him to step into that history, I mean, when you think about it, there's a history of Star Wars and his name is in that group. And there are so many people who know Star Wars from just what he's written. So that, that's, that's fabulous. Yeah. But we're going to get to that later. First, got to get to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. <laughs> because one of the greatest Comic-Con oh. exclusives... To ever be created was announced this week. So Hot Wheels is making the Spider Machine GP7 from the glorious <laughs> Supida Man show, aka my favorite thing I've ever watched it. I, okay, I've never watched it, but it, I, I I got into it because of Ready Player One. Okay, and I didn't know about it until that book, and yeah. then I went into it and I saw a bunch. I literally went down the rabbit hole of YouTube clips about about it. Yeah, and I was like, this is amazing. How did I not know about this as a kid? Yeah, uh, you know? well, because it, it's so obscure and yeah. like. You know, but it I found knew its about way. Ultra, I know about the, all the other like Ultraman, all that kind of stuff. Sure. But I had no idea about yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, Spider Man only lasts like thirty episodes or something like okay. that. It's real. It's short, but it's amazing. His main nemesis is Professor Monster. <laughs> uh, he shoots a gun. He's got the car. He's got uh, the car that transforms. I mean, that that's that's kind of amazing. Dude, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so Hot Wheels is recreating the Spider Machine oh. GP7. It's one sixty fourth scale. It's full diecast construction, real rider's wheels. It's going to be 15 bucks, I believe. If you're going to Comic-Con, you can pre-order it and pick it up there. Which Comic-Con? San Diego. And we have pictures and everything yeah. on Marvel.com. Uh, the box looks amazing. It has, you know, Superman on it, and then he's got his arms crossed. It's Don't cute. worry. I'll give you my $15 still. I mean, I'll, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept the argument. I just, fine. I, I have it. Yeah. Um, all right, James. We actually had this week some sweet comics news, some announcements about stuff coming out in September. Uh, we actually have a full list of these announcements on Marvel.com slash September comics, but there's two that I pulled out that we have to talk about here. Cool. Yeah, yeah definitely. There's Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda by Jim Zub and Lon Medina. Uh, I, I, am, <laughs> I am so excited right? about this. I mean, Wakanda Worldwide, it's like to have like secret agents. They're, they're secret agents, but they're still, you know, T'Challa. And I mean, this is going to be amazing. I cannot wait. I mean, with Junior Koye and of course, Gorilla Man and Kazar and Wasp on a global fight for survival to handle threats that S.H.I.E.L.D. could only dream of. Dude, I'm... I know. Yeah, it's one of those comic book moments where I was like, my wife's going to be like, what are you doing? Don't talk to me. I'm reading. It's, I know it's going to happen. Yeah. it's This spins out of the pages of Avengers uh, and a little bit of War of the Realms where you see sort of the, the first pieces of T'Challa's crew come together. Yeah. And like what he's doing, how he's trying to build this out. 
and I've, I've heard Jason talk about this idea for a while, and so I'm I'm super excited for this. And also, Jason Aaron just has a way of taking your character to a whole different place. Like you you know what the characters before, and then he grabs them and he just pulls just a, a different spirit out of them, a different sense out of them, and just gives you more of a, of, a, of a larger view of what the character can do. So I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. Heck yeah. Uh, and then the other one that I wanted to make sure we talk about on the show was Marvel Comics number 1001. <laughs> you thought we stopped at 1,000. I, I, I did. No, 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 no. 1,001. The biggest story in Marvel history continues. It's a story too large for any one issue with too many classic Marvel creators who wanted to be a part of the fun. And so the party continues on this additional celebratory issue featuring additional secrets and revelations about the Eternity Mask and the person who now wears it. So. I feel like someone in this room is involved with Marvel Comics number 1,000. Someone in this room is involved in comic books uh, Marvel 1000 that would be me oh yes very exciting yes I'm very excited that's very good you got yeah. a page in there uh, yes. but everybody wants to be a part of this and so everybody got excited so folks who are involved in 1001 include uh, of course Al Ewing who's sort of like overseeing the entire project yeah. but Audrey Loeb, Jimmy Palmiotti, Declan Shalvey, Vida Ayala, Howard Chaikin, Kari Andrews, Frank Thierry, Amy Reeder, Nick Spencer, Scott Ackerman, Brian Posen, uh, Bill Morrison. Do you know who Bill Morrison is? I do not. He did uh, Simpsons comics, I believe. He also did a, a book called Megaton Man, and he's just an amazing cartoonist. Really cool. I'm very excited. He's some of this now. A part of it. Uh, Amanda Connor, Declan Shalvey, Howard Chaikin. Um, uh, uh, some of these names are doing writing and art, but uh, Umberto Ramos, uh, Natasha Bustos, Dario Bruzella, Dan Panosian, Bill Morrison again doing writing and drawing. And yeah. It's just going to be great. It's a I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be fun. Yeah, only because uh, then I'm on 1,000. I have to read 1,001. You, you gotta know, see where I, the story I, I, goes. I got to see where it goes. Yeah, uh, and of course, all of our big announcements for comics in September can be found at marvel.com/slash/septembercomics. A uh, big thing we want, we were hyped about is that Marvel Live is back on Twitter starting this week. Uh, I couldn't be there for this week's episode, but Lorraine joined Angelique, and it was fabulous. Yes, it of was. Of course, it was. I'm back starting next week, and oh boy. It's going to be a huge one. We've really? Got, yeah, I don't know. By the time we're recording this, I don't know if we have announced the guests for next week's episode, but it is a, it's a doozy. All right. I look forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be real good. And then, of course, last thing I want to mention is Marvel's Wolverine The Lost Trail will be available for free starting July 8th. I saw what that was, and I was like... Wow, an amazing scripted story podcast about Wolverine. I I, I got to listen to this. Yeah, this because that's that's the kind of stuff I'm into. You know, because I I've I've done a few audiobooks, but to to see it like this, uh, to see this medium going to that form, I was like, yeah, this this I got to get into. So it's really good. That is for free. That is the second season. You of course can listen to Marvel's Wolverine: The Long Night, available yes. for free right now. But you know, check out the podcast, subscribe to it, and listen wherever you get your audio. Definitely. Uh, before we get into this week in Marvel history, uh, a little reminder that our Twim URC, our Unlimited Reading Club episode, is up right now. It went out this week. It's in the feed. CB Sabolsky and I get into some 90s goodness, a lot of Spider-Man stuff. Uh, nice. we, we share a lot of information, and we both surprise each other with, with things that we didn't know before, which is fun. I look forward to listening to it. Yeah. All right. It is now time for this week in Marvel history. We are looking back at the week of June 21st through June 27th across 80 years. Wow. I know. We're going back starting with 1948 because Kid Cult number one is released. And the first story in this issue is titled Hot Lead for Crooked Lawmen, which is the best. Yeah, that's great. It's so good. And 
you know, Kid Cult is maybe the most important Western comic series character we have. Kid Cult, this actual series ran 229 issues. Wow. From 1948, ending in 1979. It it wasn't like monthly or whatever. There were yeah. there sometimes were gaps of a couple months or whatever it was, but it would it would continue. Yeah. Until 1979. Uh, of course, there's Two Gun Kid, which ran until 1977. Um, didn't have quite as many issues published. It's like 120 or something like that. But you know, Kid Cult, huge, very, very important to Marvel history. It's amazing. Then there's June 27th, 1960. The monster from Planet X first appears in Tales to Astonish number 13. Who's that? Well, Groot, of course. Classic Marvel monster goodness from Jack Kirby and Larry Lieber. I mean, come on. I, and at the time, Groot, this well, this particular monster, he was a villain. It wasn't the Groot that we know and love. This is a tree monster attacking the world. Yeah. So it's it's a whole different, same species, just different, different Groot. Hundred percent. Just a different. Yeah. It, it it's fascinating because Groot is then defeated by a regular dude in that <laughs> issue with termites. Yes. 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 <laughs> I actually read it. Yeah. And I, I, it's You're always like, a favorite. Like wow, that that's all I took. Yeah. Okay. And he was like calling all his friends, like, "All right, we got this planet on lock." And then the termites. He's like, "Oh no, they have bugs." <laughs> it's real good. I love that story. Uh, let's go to June twenty fourth, nineteen sixty three, because Mike Waringo was born that day. Uh, unfortunately, Mike was taken from us way too soon. But his run on Fantastic Four with Mark Wade stands as a favorite for many fans, myself included. Uh, and you know, just an incredible storyteller, yeah. character designer, the way he would draw emotion on faces uh, and, and action. And if you've never read any of Mike's work, uh, I highly suggest you check out, of course, Fantastic Four, but he had a book called Telos. He had tons of other stuff that he worked I on. Telos, oh wow. Right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. so good. All right, June 26, 1973, the cosmic entity Eon makes Ooh. its first appearance in Captain Marvel number 28. Now, Eon is real weird. He's a funky Jim Starlin creation, whom I, which I, I don't want to say wh- whom because there's no. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you look at Wikipedia or something or like some websites and they're like, he. And like, how are you giving a gender to what is essentially a floating entity yeah. that has a face He's, and then another eyeball on the yeah, side yeah. and like tentacle bits on yeah, the bottom, like, which isn't even its full. It is like an abstract version of, of what it. it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like how we have perceived this thing that cannot be perceived. Yeah. Uh, so I don't give it a gender. I just call it it. And so it's it's said that Eon is billions of years old, an offspring of the cosmic abstracts Eternity and Infinity, and Eon is a protector of life. And I really like this is just like the briefest of briefs on Eon uh, because. It gets weird. Yeah. It's like it's just a weird character, and part of the reasons why I love Jim Starlin's body of Marvel work. He was not afraid to get weird. Just go there, and like in the Captain in the uh, the Quasar stuff, you know, he just shows up uh, randomly. He's like, "Hey guys, right. I'm Eon here. Uh, <laughs> hi." Um. 
Also, th- now this one, this one is a favorite of mine. Say, I, I made sure to include this one. It's the same date as as Eon's yes, first. Same date as uh, as as Eon, which is June 26, nineteen seventy three, a year before I was born. Over in Strange Tales number one sixty nine, Brother Voodoo debuts. Now, there is definitely something questionable about a few d- white dudes creating a black exploitation character and naming him Brother Voodoo. But I understand, you know, back in the day, you know, in order for you to let brothers know that it was a black dude, you put brother or black on it. I get. It. I, I, times have changed, but I understand. But Jericho Drum is just fantastic. He is awesome. And now we call the brother Dr. Voodoo. And he has a very special place in my heart because in the first comic I wrote for Marvel Comic, uh, which is only two, um, I got to put Dr. Voodoo in it. And as a kid, um, I was definitely into magic and I love Dr. Strange. But to see Brother Voodoo, to see Dr. Voodoo do the things that he, he did was awesome. So this date has a very special place in my heart. Yeah. Voodoo's great. I, yeah, I love him. Real cool. Back in those days, rocked a great deep V. Straight up. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, he, he had to have pecs. I mean, he was in the gym all the time because he knew it was like, he goes, I'm wearing this. Yeah. I'm wearing this V. I got to have the, my chest got to look good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you can see Dr. Voodoo in the pages of Savage Avengers right now and then hopefully tons and tons more. Uh, June 22nd, 2005, the Winter Soldier's identity is revealed as, spoilers, just in case there's like one of you out there who didn't know this, is revealed as Bucky Barnes in Captain America number eight by Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting, and Mike Perkins. This is obviously a pivotal part of one of the greatest Captain America stories of all time and so influential yeah, to, 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 the, to the MCU. Yeah, think about like 2005, Winter Soldier came out in what, 2011? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Um, somewhere in there, and, or, and just, or 12, just, 13, just, just imagine what it was like for. Okay, there is you. You know it. There's a guy out there who's been reading or not reading Cap since the beginning, but <laughs> who's Cap has been in his life from you know from the beginning, and he's known about Bucky, and then he reads the Winter Soldier, and I remember reading the Winter Soldier myself, and when it was revealed to be Bucky Barnes, I was like, that's that's. I was going to say a reference, but I'm not going to say it. That, that's like another character coming back to his old mentor. And you're like, I, you, I knew you were dead. Oh, my God. Not only are you not dead, you're as good as I am. And you have no idea who I am. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant story. And, and it I works. It. That, yeah. The thing is, it, it makes you find it like, oh, that could have happened. Yes. It, it all yes. makes sense. Back in the day, there used to be this, you know, like the thing like you can't bring back Uncle Ben. You can't bring back Bucky. Like yes. those were like that's just you just can't those things. But and I still agree, you can't bring back Uncle Ben. But Bucky makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Then there's uh, June twenty second, two thousand eleven. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Peter Parker of the Ultimate Universe dies heroically, saving his family and friends in the battle against an out of control Green Goblin in Ultimate Spider Man number one sixty. I remember this, and it was one of those moments where I was so upset because I didn't see it coming. I know maybe I should have. My the friends book was saw called it. Death of Spider-Man. I, it doesn't matter. In my mind, I li- I, I'm looking at you dead in the face and tell you the truth. I didn't think they were going to do it. No, yeah, we, I was like, we, they're we not going to do it. I'm like, you're going to say Death of Spider-Man. Somehow at the end, he's going to have this little boop, boop, beep, and he's going to wake up. And they killed that kid. Yeah. And I was like, huh? And it was, I mean, he fought 
for his life. And I loved the Ultimate Spider-Man. I, I got into it from uh, number one all the way. I loved it. And when that happened, I kind of, I won't lie, I might have shed a tear by myself. Yeah. You know. Yeah. My wife was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm good. Great comics all around. Yes. Uh, that is Twim History. We'll have uh, links to these books on Marvel.com in the article that goes along with this. Before we keep rolling on, we've got to thank our advertiser this week, M&M's. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, M&M's makes a new M&M flavor called uh, Hazelnut Spread. It's amazing. It is, just imagine your favorite hazelnut spread inside of a crunchy M&M. This is the kind of candy that will wake you up in the morning just so you can have some. Forget the coffee. Just have the M&M Hazelnut Spread. I'm telling you, this is what you need for your life. Will not melt in your hand, but melt in your mouth. Why? Because it's hazelnut spread. People, come on, get on this. M&M, call a brother. I really want some more. (laughs) You guys listening, James just did that from his heart. He believes it. He really, really wants it. I do believe it. I, yeah. say, I, I am an Eminem fan. I mean, I, I have, I may have an Eminem problem. Yes. <laughs> uh, once again, big thanks to Eminem for advertising Thank on the show Eminem. this week. We're going to dive right now into our interview with Greg Pak, who is a writer of New Agents of Atlas, number four, which comes out June twenty sixth, and he has Star Wars. God, Star Wars number 68, which is on sale July 10th. It is Greg teaming up with Phil Noto, one of my favorite artists, two of my favorite dudes uh, doing Star Wars comics. It's great. Come on. You can't get any better than that. That's awesome. Yeah. So check out that interview right now. I've known you now as long as I've been at Marvel. I don't think we've done uh, This Week at Marvel with you in a while, and we certainly haven't done it since I've started thinking about the way I start these now, which is, Asking, what is your Marvel origin story? Like, how? what was it that first connected you to Marvel characters or stories? Was it a comic? Was it a cartoon? Was it something else? Yeah, well, it was this big oversized comic book. They used to put out these giant, like, 11 by 14 comics um, that you could, like, buy in, I don't know, like, 7-Eleven. No, I don't know if they sold them 7-Elevens. I think, like, sold them in Targets and stuff. You know, very upscale. They were in Targets and we're just in 7-Elevens. Um, and uh, they're like a dollar fifty, and I have this giant Spider-Man one. And I still have it. It's like incredibly worn. I clearly read it 18 million times. And it had uh, a few kind of really classic stories. It had the death of Captain Stacy. Spoiler alert, Captain Stacy, uh, he dies. Yeah. Um, and it had uh, the first appearance of the Green Goblin, which mm-hmm. also included Spider-Man fighting the Hulk in a cave. Um, uh, and uh, That seems very unfair to Spidey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, I think, I think if I'm remembering right, there's this big moment when Spidey, like, he's planning this whole thing and he, he like, you know, does this double-faced, you know, fist punch kind of thing and he actually staggers the Hulk and he's like out of his mind because he actually staggered the Hulk. <laughs> it was like the greatest thing but then yeah then then the Hulk goes nuts. Um, but uh, but that book was huge. I mean I remember I would you know I would kind of study the way you know it had the Romita Spider-Man knees like how, how do you draw a knee? Oh look this is the way you do it and I, uh, I, I just loved it. There were two other things from that book that really um, kind of got me. And I think they're kind of classic Marvel things that are sort of special to Marvel. Um, One was they had this big splash page uh, which showed Spidey all kind of crouching and he's holding this big kind of dais over him and standing on top of that are all these huge heavy hitters like Hulk and Thor and the Thing, all these, you know, like the big monster Marvel heroes. And basically they're saying like, oh, you know, Spidey's not the toughest one. You know what I mean? Like they're all, he's the underdog basically is what they're saying. I mean, that is classic Spider-Man. That's classic Marvel that the heroes are, they're always struggling. You know what I mean? And that, that they are underdogs even if they're the, you know, the Hulk's an underdog, even if he's like 
the strongest one there is. There's sure. like this weird emotionally he's so messed up. But but then Spidey is the classic underdog. But <clears throat> that was really appealing to me as a kid and kind of really cool. You know what I mean? Like this notion that like, oh, so the main character isn't the most powerful one. That's really interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I I just finished Journey to Mystery eighty three, which I hadn't read in a long time. Oh yeah. And just thinking about you know Thor, he like he's he's got his powers. He's like, I could do this, I could do this, and then he like doesn't hold on to the hammer. He's just chilling, and he changes back to Donald Blake. And it's such an important thing of like, yeah, he could do everything, but there's a very intense limitation on who he is mm-hmm. and like keeping him grounded is such an important part of that character. Yeah. No, you know, I love the I love modern Thor, but I also love that Donald Blake stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like someday. Someday. <laughs> Ooh, mm-hmm. I like I that. Know. I don't know. We'll see. But then and then the other thing that was in that book was they had this page which was like, you know, had like the cutaways of what's in Spidey's utility belt oh, and all that kind of I love that kind of stuff. But they also had this little thing where they were like, sometimes you may notice, you know, true believers that you know Spidey's face some you know or peter parker's face sometimes you know we'll show him with half the spider-man mask and these little squiggles around his head to indicate his spider sense and all that and and um yeah that's not literally what he looks like but it tells the story you know what i mean and and it was kind of stunning because that's like the first time that i saw you know comics creators talking about how they tell a story you know like that that whole idea of visual storytelling making that transparent was I mean that's pretty awesome you know to put that in the hands of a seven year old you yeah. know what I mean to, like <laughs> like you know and I think that's also something special to to comics and to Marvel which is this notion that you know I think from the beginning the these the creators have been very um you know interested in talking about you know how these things get made and that probably a higher percentage of comics fans more than any other sort of genre would love to. Well, you know, make comics, you know what I mean? And probably have drawn, you know, have made comics at some point in their lives, whether or not they were, you know, done professionally or whatever. Like yeah. that's, but that's that whole immediacy of it and that whole accessibility of it, both as a reader and a, and somebody who can actually do it, I think is magic. Yeah, it, I, I think that just goes to what Stan and, and the crew is doing. It's so smart. So, so smart. I want to jump ahead a little bit. Uh, I was thinking your first Marvel project, was that Warlock? Yes, it was. Yeah, 2000. Well, it was my first published, published. Yeah, project. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so how did, how did that work? Well, I got, um, I, I had made a movie called Robot Stories. Uh, I went to film school at NYU, made a movie called Robot Stories, you know, scrappy little independent movie. Did really well in the festival circuit, won a bunch of awards, and, um, and through my agency, it got me a, a meeting with Marvel. You know, uh, and so very exciting. I'd read comics all my life. I'd drawn, I'd drawn cartoons, uh, you know, for my high school and college papers and all that. But for whatever crazy reason, I had never thought about writing comics professionally. You know, even though I'd like drawn a weekly strip for like the Korea Times New York for a while, I'd, I'd actually, I'd actually made comics for money. But I never thought about. You know, writing comic books for so yeah, I, I I can't explain it. You sure. know what I mean? It was just like these magic things that just I bought and read, but <laughs> I you know never thought about how they were made. I don't know. Um, but uh, but so you know when my agent said, "Hey, would you like to have a meeting with Marvel?" I was like, "Yes, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense." And so I went in and I and um, and the meeting went great. I think partly because they had seen my I, I think. She'd sent over the screenplay to Robot Stories, and Robot Stories is um, a terrible writing sample if you want to get more feature film work because it's an anthology picture. It's four stories, and feature films aren't made that way. You know, I mean, the vast majority of feature films are a single story, and there's kind of like a a, a structure that people are looking for in that kind of storytelling that's very different from doing an anthology picture, which is four. But this anthology picture, it's like four different stories. Each one was approximately the length of a comic book script. And they all dealt with like kind of some crazy sci-fi thing, but with a real human 
emotional core. And that's kind of what Marvel does, you know. So I, you know, I, I think they knew coming in that, okay, this kid kind of gets it. So it went well. And I ended up um, – and the, they started giving me things to think about doing and all of that. And uh, But then, you know, I, I was just developing stuff and actually writing full scripts and all of that. And then for various reasons, they – We'd almost get there, and then they'd be like, "Oh, sorry, this one we can't do it." <laughs> I was like, "Really?" And they're like, we, "It's not your fault. We love the script. There's just some other, you know, X, Y, Z." And I was like, "Okay." And I was, you know, I mean, I was out there. I was hustling my film. I was taking my film around to movie theaters around that time and doing a lot of different things. And so they basically wanted to keep trying. And I was like, "Okay, let's do this." And eventually, the Warlock Project came together. Uh, Corey Settlemeyer and I think Stephanie Moore. They were Marvel editors at the time. And they said, hey, we're thinking about bringing back Warlock and kind of going back to his original roots, um, sort of pre-cosmic Starlin, and look at the sort of more um, hard sci-fi origins. Yeah, where he coming was out like, of the cocoon. Exactly. He was weird. like this artificial person created Him. by – Yeah, exactly. Yeah, created by these crazy scientists. It, it was sort of a funny thing. I mean, you know, this was back before – People were reimagining things a la Battlestar Galactica. You know what I mean? But it was that kind of an undertaking. It was like, hey, take this and, you know, whatever you want to do with it. And so, you know, I took it and I played around with it and I came back with ideas and they were like, that's awesome. And we did it. Um, And then then the way it came out and people were like, where does this even fit? You know what I mean? Because continuity wise, it was it was fuzzy. You know what I mean? Because like somebody was joking about Spider-Man having a secret identity and and Spider-Man had not come like in the Marvel Universe proper. That wasn't a thing that people mm. knew that Spider-Man had this – you know what I mean? Like they or, – or somebody said that he was bitten by a radioactive spider or something like that. And people were like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they say – you know, and then and – so it felt like it was happening in this kind of weird vertigo-y kind of world that was sort of different. You know, I'd read comics all my life, but I hadn't been a weekly warrior. You know what I mean? And so I wasn't really quite tuned <laughs> into – to sort of the the criticalness of continuity and all of that, you know, and but then it sort of resolved itself because it turns out the whole thing was uh, well, there's a big twist in the end, anyway. Yeah. But it was a great, it was a huge amount of fun. It was a great introduction to the whole thing. I learned a lot also by doing those other projects that never got published. I mean, I wrote like I think two, maybe three scripts. I think I wrote three. Anyway, I, I wrote a, a a few full scripts that people internally really dug apparently, but. Um, did not get made, but I learned a lot from those, you know. So by the time I was writing Warlock, I was, I had, you know, kind of had my feet wet. And then um, when we were kind of, you know, in the middle of Warlock, uh, Mike Martz, I got a call from Mike Martz, and he was like, "Hey, we're thinking about doing this Phoenix thing. You want to?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> because you know, like the the Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix story, that was the biggest story when I was a kid. You know, yeah. I mean, that was literally the biggest comics thing in the world in American comics. And then I got that gig, and and that became uh, X Men Phoenix End Song. Yeah. But I still, I didn't know if this was real. I mean, <laughs> what, what, did I have a career? And then and then, but then End Song did really well. And I think it was sort of a surprise. A uh, surprise hit. It. Um, I mean, not that it should have been a surprise. This was kind of Greg Land's. I think it was his, may have been his first Marvel book. Yeah, it's early. Yeah, and and people were just really really hungry to see him draw Emma Frost and and Jean Grey, and and uh, people loved it. And I mean, people bring this book up to me all the time. You know, like these Phoenix fans and Emma Frost fans, and, and so I'm all you know. It's it's one of the ones that I see a lot to this day. Yeah, yeah, and so that I think that was like the no, the first issue was like the number three book that month, and it was like, oh, <laughs> I might 
be doing this. <laughs> this might actually be a thing I can do. Um, so we started to talk about Hulk. Uh, it's been, what, like 12, 13 years since Planet Hulk. Yeah, yeah it's been actually, yeah, 14, I think. Was it 14? Four, I think it was 2000 and I can't remember now. 2005, no. 2006 is when it came out. You're right. Yeah. yeah. yeah so so it, it's somewhere around there. You felt like you got to just like tell this epic story, which as you were saying, it's like you, you'd only done a couple of projects, a couple of minis, but this is the Hulk and this is a very paradigm shifting time for the Hulk. How did mm. this come together? I was, I mean, it was kind of awesome. I mean, the Hulk was a character, he was my favorite Marvel character. You know, like I, I grew up watching that Bill Bixby TV show that was the the only show that I cared about when I was a kid, you know, Thursday night, 7 p.m. Central, I was there. Uh, so the Hulk was always under my skin, and I would drop these hints about how much I liked the Hulk. And then eventually, you know, I think they paid attention. They're like, hey, they brought me in for a meeting and said, hey, we're thinking about, you know, shooting the Hulk into space. Danny Way's got this set up. He's going to be out in space. And we're thinking maybe he gets exiled to a bar, you know, like and ends up doing a gladiator thing on a gladiator planet. I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and uh, I got tapped for it, and I got to basically create this whole planet and come up with what the real emotional story was all about. And, um, you know, it was it was amazing, you know, create this whole supporting cast. And Mark Paniccia was my uh, big partner in crime, the editor. We would get together at this pizza joint around the corner from the Marvel offices and, you know, sit down there, cackle about all our great ideas. And it was a, it was one of these kind of very special moments where everybody got really excited about it all in the same way. Chris Sotomayor was doing the colors and he had this idea. It's like on this planet, what if, what if the Hulk is the only green thing, you know, like, oh. and I was like, that's brilliant. You yeah. know, and so we did that, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, when you have all, everybody coming together and thinking on that level and coming up in Ladrone, I was did about the to say covers. the Ladrone covers are it's like magic. Yeah. And they're so evocative. And he did stuff in those covers that like he did that cover, the first cover of the Hulk in the, in the sand, you know, oh. sort of snarling at us and, you know, in his in his um, gladiator outfit. And then there's these kind of crazy tentacles coming up out of the sand. And those became the big monster, you know, this kind of like squid monster from the sands that, that he fights in the thing. And so, you know, like everybody was throwing in these great ideas and it was so much um, – it was just great stuff. And then, you know, like and, – and that story just made sense to me. Like I, I feel like I – you know, every once in a while things just really click. And, and that story – it was – you know, it was a, a monster – it was a monster to a hero journey, you know, and and when I kind of realized that's what it was, it was about. It was about the Hulk who was, you know, hated on Earth, had no place on Earth, goes to a, uh, this kind of savage planet where everything that people hate and fear him for on Earth are actually things that people on this planet need. You know what I mean? Like, and he, that's those are the things that he can become a hero and he can fit in, and he forms this kind of you know group of you know fellow monsters basically and finds his place, and then because it's Spoiler alert, but because it's a Hulk story, it's a tragedy, you know, and he has to lose it all in the end. Like the punishment for that rage, even if it's righteous. So, but all of the, you know, it just, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. So, heck yeah. Greg, I don't think we've talked in person since Marvel Studios Thor Ragnarok came out. How did that feel to see interpretations of Planet Hulk, Sakaar, Korg, Meek? All of that on the big screen. It was awesome. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, it was crazy. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I, um, it's funny because people, you know, sometimes, you know, hardcore Planet Hulk fans will come up to me and be like, what'd you think of that? And I'm like, I, I loved it, man. You know, because uh, it's very different in tone from Planet Hulk. You know what I mean? Because the, the Ragnarok movie is, you know, it's a lark, right? And the Planet Hulk book is kind of, you know, it's an epic. It's, uh, it, it's got 
plenty of humor in it, but it's uh, because everything I do has, you know, some of that. But it's a, you know, it's a huge sort of epic adventure slash tragedy in the end. You know what I mean? So it's a different, it's, you know, the vibe, the vibe is different, but I love that vibe. That is probably my favorite Marvel movie. And, you know, of course I'm biased, but I just, (laughs) I enjoyed every second of it. You know what I mean? I just, I love that, you know, just the whole, you know, that whole sensibility, that kind of broad humor combined with, um, with real heart. You know, and I think that was the other thing about it, too, is that they made Korg into a real, you know, a very, you know, significant. Heck, the director played Korg. You know what I mean? That's awesome. That's real cool. Um, And he was much quippier than in the in the book. But, uh, you know, at his core, he's still the same dude. He's the stone man with a heart of gold. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, even down to, you know, sort of being the advocate for the underdogs and, you know, leading the revolution and all of that. I mean, it's all done in a much jokier way in Ragnarok, but it's there. So, um so it was just a trip. I mean, it was it was hugely gratifying and a lot of fun. Heck yeah. Okay, so now I want to talk about your new book with artist uh, Gang Hyuk Lim. Yes. Uh, War of the Realms, New Agents of Atlas. Real fun. Uh, but what's cool is this has some origins in your run on Totally Awesome Hulk. Yeah. With the Protectors, this really dope team you created, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Totally Awesome Hulk was the Hulk book for two, two and a half years, and it was Amadeus Cho had basically cured Bruce Banner and taken over the power of the Hulk himself. He's a 19-year-old kid. He's cocky. He's going to be the best Hulk ever. And it was just a really kind of fun, light thing where Amadeus cuts loose and gets into tons of trouble and then eventually learns that being the Hulk is a lot more tricky than he ever imagined. Um, uh, And kind of eventually taps, you know, finds that he's got his own dark side that he has to grapple with. Um, You know, that his his sort of sin is not anger. It's, it's kind of arrogance, you know? Um, and, and that's what he has to grapple with in the end. But around in the middle of the run with issue 15, we did something I'd been hungry to do for a long time, which is we had a big team up with a bunch of Asian American heroes in the Marvel universe. You know, like, I don't know. I think I was inspired by after, you know, after film, I've, I've been to a million different film festivals and comic book conventions, Asian American events, where afterwards I've gotten together with other Asian American creators and we've gone, you know, we go go for barbecue in Koreatown and do karaoke in Norebang. And, uh, and I was like, well, the come on. The Asian American heroes in the Marvel Universe would be doing that. <laughs> they do that all the time, you know? Um, and so we did this, you know, we did this it, it, this story where they, yeah, so at the beginning there, uh, you think they're all getting together for some big, you know, emergency. And it turns out they're doing a show that's kind of a benefit for getting people to raise awareness about about blood marrow donations, you know, which is a thing in the Asian community. And then afterwards, you know, they're like, hey, let's, let's go eat, you know, so then they go eat. And they fight over the check. That is one of the best <laughs> moments. Jimmy Woo yeah. and uh, Shang Chi fighting over who gets to pay the check. Yeah. So good. Because, yeah, and you know, like if you've ever had dinner with a bunch of Korean uncles, they tend to fight <laughs> over the check, you know, and so so when these guys fight over the check, they literally fight over the check because they're superheroes. And, <laughs> um, and of course, Amadeus snipes the check and pays it off because he's the cocky little so-and-so and then Shang-Chi's like well I'm paying for a karaoke and so then they go do karaoke and you know it's it's just you know it, it was fun and then and then aliens invade and they have to fight off aliens yeah. but um I loved it too because it was uh you know throughout the whole thing they're kind of joking with each other and messing around and 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 but you're also realizing they're all so they're all Asian American but they're all from different places and they've all got different stories and and that whole and you know and they're kind of learning about each other and that kind of stuff and also bonding over stuff they have in common, but also recognizing that there's differences here. And that whole notion of diversity within diversity, I think that's where the, that's where the juicy stuff is. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you know, I mean, just to make a 
to point to a really obvious example, the Black Panther movie. You know what I mean? Like it's not one, it's not just one black dude representing all black people. It's like you have this huge cast and so you can show, uh, you know, you, you can show all kinds of nuance and all kinds of different perspectives. And that's what we, that's what we were able to do in that, you know, that, that, in that storyline. And now that's sort of become the setup for this new Agents of Atlas book we're doing. Yeah, uh, new Agents of Atlas uh, is really cool. I want to talk about the War of the Realms of it all in a second. Yeah. But I was thinking about the karaoke scene specifically <laughs> in uh, with with the protectors and, and then thinking about this crew. Yeah. So as a way to let our fans know who's on the team, maybe we give a little bit of information about each member of the squad. And if you have any thoughts on what song that they would sing right. in karaoke, we'll get into it. Uh, first up, we've, of course, got Amadeus Cho, yep. a.k.a. Braun, yep. uh, whom you initially created, what is it? 14-ish years ago, Amazing Fantasy 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tak Miyazawa was the artist. We co-created that dude. It was, And he's just, he's, he keeps cooking, man. It's great. It's been fun. Yeah. Uh, so what what song do you think Amadeus would uh, well, sing? Well, Amadeus is, you know, like I said, his his original sin is arrogance, right? Like he's he's a little too cocky. He's a little too sure of himself. And he he's always fighting that. Like he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'll be better. And then, and then he kind of stumbles back into it, you know, because, you know, as as they say in Frozen, people don't really change. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and, but I, I love that. You know what I mean? Because that's that, that feels real to me. It's like we recognize our problems, but then we stumble back into them and we, you know, and so we shift forward a little bit. But then we're always, you know, slipping and sliding and, you know, hopefully on the right trajectory. But it's never perfect. Anyway, so, yeah, his song is got to be my way. You know, oh, like it's a classic, right? Classic karaoke song. Someone's got to sing it. No one really, everybody's scared to sing it because it's such the song. But of course, Amadeus is going to sing it. You know Love what I mean? He's that cocky little jerk. <laughs> He's probably going to do it really well, too. Probably. Uh, we've got Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Yeah. Well, in the actual uh, Totally Awesome Hulk book, Shang-Chi sang New York, New York. Another, another good Sinatra song. I think Shang-Chi also is one of those dudes who's like, you don't even know he can sing because he barely talks to you. You know what I mean? He's the guy who's kind of sitting on the side, kind of observing quietly, you know, and then the song rolls around and he picks it up and suddenly he's like breaking your heart. You know what I mean? Because he's singing so, he's got like this incredible romantic, you know, he's probably singing some Lionel Richie or something. You know what I mean? I'd say easy, but easy is actually the most unromantic romantic song you ever know. It's actually mm. a breakup song, so that's not going to be Shang Chi. No, he's like he's like singing. I don't know. Can't help falling in love, Elvis Presley. Classic, deeply romantic, classic. Gets you right there. Kind of folky. Also, you know, it's, it's got that you know man of the people feel. That's Shang Chi, baby. <laughs> he belted out. <laughs> He's also a little older than you know yes. than, than a lot of the kids in this group. So yeah. uh, he and Jimmy are sort of the uncle figures. Jimmy's considerably older. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Wu, who you just mentioned, is secret agent, yeah. a true agent of Atlas. Yeah, man, what is what is he saying? You know, that's that's a good. Let me think about that one. Now, Jimmy's older, right? Because Jimmy's Jimmy's one of these folks who's been around. Like he's got a history that goes back to World War II. Even before he's like, you know, along with Nick Fury, I think he, you know, he got some kind of immortality formula. I don't exactly, I should remember this clearly. I, I don't really remember it all. There's a but, lot of history. He, he like, he pops up in the 50s and he pops back up in the 60s. Yeah. And he goes back and, you know, he comes around again and again. So, um, but yeah, so he's going to, he, he knows all the old songs. You know what? Jimmy's Chinese. He's not Japanese, but he loves, uh, he loves sukiyaki uh, in the original Japanese. That's what he's going to sing. That was actually one of the first uh, non-English language hit in America. Huh. Um, yeah, Rio Sakamoto, I think. 
Uh, we've got a bunch of younger characters yeah. here in the book. Uh, Silk, who's this awesome spider hero. Yeah. Um, well, Silk is a big fan of one of the new characters we're going to be uh, introducing in the book. So there's a character named Luna Snow. Yes. Who was, I believe, originated for Marvel Future Fight. Correct. The, the game, the video game. Uh, and she's uh, she is a Korean K-pop star who also happens to have these incredible ice powers. Yep. But Silk is uh, is actually a huge fan so she's going to sing a Luna Snow song. Oh, my gosh. That, that would be great. Uh, and, yeah, Luna Snow, super fun. Yeah. You know, she – this is, I believe, her comics debut. Yeah. Um, which is really I neat. Think, I think you're right. I think, yeah. I think you are right. Yeah, Luna Snow. I mean, she's a singer, so she's she could, sing. l- like, sing yeah, yeah, yeah. anything. She, she's going to sing uh, – she's going to sing Whitney. <laughs> She's going to sing the Bodyguard song. Uh, my Heart uh, Will Go On? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? She's is that going, what it's called? No, it's no, no. no. It's, um. What is it? And I will. Oh, uh, My Heart Will Go On is no, Titanic. I, yeah. I, I will always love you. I will always. Well, yeah. Which is a Dolly Parton song. Yes, I exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. She's going to do the Whitney version. I love Dolly. But, yes. But she's going to do the Whitney version. Yeah. Um. You know, big dramatic pause. Boom. Key change. Knock it out of the park. Yeah. Everybody falls down dead. <laughs> Hopefully not really dead. Uh, we've got more new characters here because we've got Crescent and Io. Yeah. Who are also new. They're part of uh, Marvel Future Fight. They're real neat. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, these are these characters that were created for the game. And so Crescent is this kid who she's uh, she's like a, a Taekwondo prodigy. She's really great at Taekwondo. But she also happens to have uh, this magic mask from her father. Um, and the, the it's this – when she puts on this mask – she channels or summons this 12-foot-tall crescent bear, you know, and who she names Io after the moon. But so it's this kind of magic bear. And like in the video game, it's really cool because you see this kind of little kid, you know, with this mask jumping around fighting, and the bear mimics her moves. Remember, yeah. you know? So it's like you've got this, you know, it's, it's kind of like a kid in a giant <laughs> robot, but it's a kid in a giant bear, right? Right. You know, and I, I'm a big sucker for those, you know, kids with giant friends yeah. sort of things. And so, um, so, uh, so that's Crescent and Io. Can Io vocalize? Can they um, do a duet, or or would it just mimic her? You know, that's a good question. I, you know, I don't. Uh, well, yes, Io. You're the I writer. Mean, you can the, literally say whatever you want, and it's canon. Io does not. I don't have Io speaking like words. She's more. He's he's kind of doing the Chewbacca thing. You know what I mean? You know, like <laughs> making expressions, making emotions known through expression. That's great. I haven't done the thing where, you know, where, where people are like, what he's really saying is that you need to flip the second switch and then do the <laughs> nah, nah, nah. You'll get that. Recalibrate the... Nah, nah, nah. No, I haven't. Is that, is that your Star Wars dialogue? Yeah. Is yeah. that Star Wars? I, 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 am, I am doing Star Wars. You know that? I'm writing Star Wars stuff. I've, I've been doing these Star Wars Age of Republic, uh, yes. Age of Rebellion books. Yeah. Uh, we're not here to talk about that. We got to finish up all with right, right. Uh, New Agents of Atlas. Yes, yes. Because uh, there's three more characters, also yes. br- like brand, brand new. Really, we've got Arrow, Swordmaster, and Wade. Yes, which are really cool. So Arrow and Swordmaster are characters that Marvel created in conjunction with Chinese creators uh, for the Chinese market, and they were they I, I believe they debuted uh, as Chinese web comics. Yep. And so Swordmaster is this young man who who's <laughs> who it, it's kind of similar to the to the Crescent and Io thing, like stumbles upon a magic object. His archaeologist father disappeared, and now he has has uh, gotten the sword, this magic sword, uh, through that. And so it's a dude with this magic sword, and it introduces him to all these warring factions because, you know, other people have these other magic weapons and everything. So it's this kind of crazy, like, Chinese fantasy sword fighting 
sort of story yeah. in the modern day times. That's great. It's cool. Yeah. And then Arrow is a uh, she is an architect who lives in Shanghai, and uh, she's got wind powers. It's cool because you know, like like there, it's 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 a more of a science based hero as opposed to a mystical hero. And I think like having that kind of variety is mix. good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and Wave is a, and then, a Filipino heroine. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, when we were putting this whole thing together, one of the requests was to try to incorporate, you know, be the first Marvel US comic that uses these new characters that have been introduced in yeah. the games and other places. But I, you know, I was looking at the cast and it's like, awesome, it's this great Pan-Asian cast, but they're all East Asian. You know what I mean? They were all Chinese or, or Japanese or Korean. And I was like, let's, I, you know, we, we need to, uh, oh, I mean, Ms. Marvel uh, is in the first issue as well. Um, she's South Asian, but then, or, you know, Pakistani uh, American. And, but I was like, let's, we need a, we need a Filipino Marvel hero. You know, we haven't, I, I like, that's, that's something we need. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I pitched it and I was like, you know, we're going to make her wait. She's, you know, like I, the, the idea of this heroine named Wave. She's got water powers. Um, she's from Cebu City and she, uh, in the first issue, she and Arrow have this encounter. Um, it's like, you know, water and wind, which is kind of fun. Um, but she's going to play a critical role in the story. And uh, and the great Lanil Yu is designing her. Incredible Filipino comics artist who is beloved at Marvel and um, and, and elsewhere. And yeah, beloved worldwide. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, Lanil's great. So, in fact, I've, I've, I just saw the... Uh, the variant cover, the wave variant cover that he's turned in, it's just spectacular. So, um, so it's fun. Yeah. I mean, we that when the book got announced, it was kind of amazing, you know, just the. Like, all, I mean, we hadn't even released a picture of her yet, or the you know the, the images of her, but folks were already like, "What?" You yeah, know, like it's, uh, it's it's really cool. It's yeah. very exciting. We have to wrap it up. I do want to make sure we let people know that uh, all these heroes come together because uh, the big threat of yes. War of the Realms. Um, we've got the uh, yes, Cinder. Cinder. Cinder the queen of cinders, uh, you know, bringer of ash and fire. She's uh, she's the daughter of Surtur, right? And she has come to uh, wreak havoc and uh, take over Asia. And yeah. so um, these various heroes, you know, like our these these Asian American heroes, happen to be uh, together. And Jimmy Woo says, "We gotta go." And so they they go and they end up teaming up with these different heroes in Asia to fight this threat. And um, and kind of like in the original Totally Awesome Hulk thing, it's like this. You know, you've got this diverse group of heroes and and uh, and you realize, oh, you know, they've got a shared, definitely, you know, seem to have a shared uh, uh, goal here. But um, but you've got a lot of different perspectives here, you know. And you've got Amadeus now who's trying to lead the show and, and who may not be the best person to try to, you know, this, this cocky uh, – solo artist basically is now trying to lead a whole band and we're going to see how well that works oh yeah you know what I'm going to change my uh, thing for Jimmy you know what Jimmy's going to sing We Are Family and he's going to sing it as a uh, it's a didactic song you know he's going to try to uh, convince this group of kids that they all need to, to hang together we'll true see. dad vibes exactly so good exactly. I like it very subtle yeah. thanks Jimmy Big thanks to Greg for coming in and uh, sitting down with me. Cool interview, man. Thank you. Well I done. appreciate it. Uh, he's always just the best to talk to. Uh, and so we got to go into our community section. Starting things off, though, first, we got a question of the week. I was thinking about question of the week. Uh, we've been talking about Spider-Man Far From Home at the mm-hmm. beginning of the episode. So if you could go on a European vacation with Spider-Man, where would you go? Ooh. You know... I think I would go to Paris. Oh. I'll go to Paris. There's so many buildings for him to swing on. 
There's so, there's so many cool moments. There's so many night moments of places he could just perch, and I literally would just be his photographer. See, I'm like, let's 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 get a Vogue shoot. Uh, let's get a Vogue shoot <laughs> in Paris with Spider Man. <laughs> I, I think I'm more. I'm becoming a villain here because I'm the I'm the opposite. I want to go to like Iceland with him where he can't swing around on anything and so i'm just like all right spidey do well, something here yeah show me some other tricks kid and see what but happens see that that's that, see you're, you're underestimating you're underestimating the webhead here this is the moment where he goes into his scientist mode and then he starts making crap i'd rather have him swinging on buildings where i know where he is than him like you know making potions behind some tree someplace <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea. Hold on a second. Hold on, I'll be right there. I'm making a potion. It's like, take this. Oh, dang it. He made a web out of wigs and uh, wigs and leaves. Wigs, twigs, twigs. twigs. Not wigs. You know what? He probably and... snatched somebody's wig and was making and some made a web. web. Yes, yeah. see? Awesome. Uh, so good. Uh, so that is our question of the week. Let us know. If you could go on a European vacation with Spidey, where would you go? You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Uh, we got to get into our community. And so uh, first off, I got to give a big shout out to Andy, uh, who I met at E3. He tweeted to me. We took a picture together at E3. He said, I'm a huge fan of This Week in Marvel. So it was great to meet Agent M the Avengers demo area. Uh, he was awesome. Andy, I'm so sorry. I wish I could talk more. He, we, were, we were starting to chat, and then I literally got pulled in to go see the behind closed doors uh, Marvel's Avengers demo. So yeah, gotcha, I, had, I had to go. I had to go. I had to go. Uh, but I did meet a bunch of other folks who listen and watch the show. So thank you all for being awesome. I'm so glad uh, I could link up. I gave away some stickers and some, awesome, some other stuff. So the next one uh, was an answer to the previous question of the week, which was, what is your favorite X-Men movie scene? I want to hear yours after we hear this one. This answer came in from Casey G. Smith. Casey says, the opening scene of X2 with Nightcrawler. It still makes me smile. Um I think my my favorite one is um, I think is is at the end of the uh, the original X Men where the the, the president the president's in a room and uh, nobody's there and then all of a sudden there's lightning and when he looks up they're all in the room that is just awesome yeah it just kind of shows you how badass the X Men really were and terrifying yeah you're oh. like you're like oh they're in my they're in my office whoa that was that was brilliant yeah real good uh, so Vincent King says so. Agent M, to answer the question for last week, my favorite X-Men moment has to be in Logan when he uses his last bit of life to save the young mutants. That part still brings tears to my eyes and happiness to my heart at the same time. Mm. I got, I, a Logan rewatch is in, is in order soon. I, I rewatched it and uh, it was a bad idea. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like being sad that day. Yeah. And you realize how, how sad it is. My wife can't watch it. It's my wife, bleak. My wife can't watch it because she hates children being in peril. Oh, man. So she didn't know. Yeah. And she leans over to me because she goes, she literally hits me. She goes, is this is the comic? And I was like, well, the character's in the comic, but this part, no, yes, yes, <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm sorry. Because she was so <laughs> mad at me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. she was mad. It's brutal, uh, but it's so good. There's a black and white version too that is just gorgeous. Oh, okay. Yeah, they mastered right. it in, in, in black and white, and it's really pretty. Our friend Karis Pollard, she tweeted. Uh, I one, she always tweets out like her thoughts on her new comics, which I love. I love reading. But she uh, tweeted two pictures of Silver Surfer Black. Number one, she says. Uh, my This Week in Marvel of the Week goes to Silver Surfer. This has it all. It's a gorgeous, 
bittersweet setup to a story, amazing, weird art, innovative panels, bold colors. Even the letter at the end made me choke up. This is something different and special. It is by Donny Cates and Trad Moore, and it is incredible. I know you get all your comics, and we've released a lot yes. of comics. Yes. Read this one. It just came okay. out. So I, you, Actually, no. When I saw the advertisement before, and I already downloaded it, I have yeah. to read it today. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Uh, last one came in from Toronto Gamers, uh, old school friend of the show, Ms. Marvel Girl. Uh, she says, I have a long history of loving you two, you two being me and uh, C.B. Sobolski. Mm-hmm. She says, but if you hurt Teddy Altman Dorek III, a.k.a. Hulkling, I will gay riot, she says. <laughs> <laughs> what? I love her so much. She's great. She's, she's awesome. terrific. Uh, I I don't think we're gonna halt or hurt Hulkling. Teddy's Teddy's fine. Uh, the things that we did to him a couple years ago, uh, he, he went through some stuff in in one of Al Ewing's books, and he's still great. He's yeah, wonderful. He's fine. He's like so a he's space okay. king. Yeah, he's he's okay. He's yeah, good. He's terrific. Uh, that's it. That's the show. Yes. Thank you for coming up. Thank you, JMI, and thank you, Triple BTB. Uh, yes. For, uh, being here and back and up, being back up, back to the bone. Yep. Yes. Uh, Real good. We uh, we got to roll into another recording right now. Let's get, let's get to it. Cool. Uh, cool. We'll be back with another episode next week. I don't know if you're here. Lorraine's here. I'm here. It's all Hopefully I'll be here. If not, you'll see me soon. Yes. I'm Ryan. And this is JMI. And this is Marvel. Your universe. So smooth. Thank you, actually.